The following audio is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that this recording will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. into the water. But there's that momentary hesitation. Your brain is doing that little cost-benefit analysis, going, water is cold and wet. My body likes being warm and dry. And then that kid zooms past you and dives on in without a moment hesitation. There's a splash and you're like, fine, I'm going to do it. This morning, we're exploring lament. And lament can be a bit like diving into a swimming pool. We have hesitations. Diving in, it it comes with a shock. Yet, in time, we acclimatize. And indeed, practice makes perfect. And perhaps when we have felt so cold, in time, lament brings us to a warmth, even a joy in the Lord. Now, any time before I jump into a swimming pool, I get like here, and I'm about to dive through. I jump, I commit, and then I have that moment of, what on earth am I doing? I know I'm going to get wet. That's, I've already made that commitment, but I'm hanging there. This morning, it's a bit like that. We're hanging over the water's edge. We know we're going to get wet, but we know that lament will give us an opportunity, a God-given way of responding to this world's tragedy, trauma, and trouble particularly why sin remains. So hang with me there, just above the water. Be ready to get a little wet. We'll be coming back to that thought later. But here's our big idea for this morning. God-centered lament leads us to the presence of God, the Redeemer of God, and the fear of God. Now, for those taking notes, I'll say it again because I cannot write that quickly. God-centered lament leads us to the presence of God, the Redeemer of God, and the fear of God. Now, open up a Bible with me. Are we going to be reading today from Job chapter 19? Reggie, we're learning, our aim is to learn from chapters 19 through to 31, uh, but 12 chapters would be a bit of a long Bible reading uh, for this context, although we, by all means, do so um, in your time. Now, we're pretty close to the middle of three cycles of speeches that started back in chapter 3. And this is kind of this philosophical showdown between the wisdom of the world and God's, and God's, no, Job's enduring struggle to trust God, no matter what his suffering. And perhaps another way to capture this feeling is, imagine we're in a boxing ring. Job is like halfway through 10 rounds in a 3v1 boxing contest of words. Job is battered and bruised in the corner, but he's not finished. With this image, let's read from Job chapter 19, verse 1. Job answered and said, How long will you torment me and break me in pieces with words? These ten times you have cast reproach upon me, I 
not ashamed to wrong me. And even if it be true that I have erred, my error remains within myself. If indeed you magnify yourselves against me and make my disgrace an argument against me, know then that God has put me in the wrong and closed his net about me. Behold, I cry out, violence, but I am not answered. I call for help, but there is no justice. He has walled up my way so that I cannot pass. He has set darkness upon my paths. He has stripped me from my glory and taken the crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side, and I am gone. And my hope he has pulled up like a tree. He has kindled his wrath against me and counts me as his adversary. His troops come down on together. They have cast up their siege ramp against me and encamped around my tent. He has put my brothers far from me, and those who knew me are wholly estranged from me. My relatives have failed me. My close friends have forgotten me. The guests in my house and my maidservants count me as a stranger. I have become a foreigner in their eyes. I call to my servant, but he gives me no answer. I plead with him with my mouth for mercy. His breath is strange to my wife. My breath is strange to my wife. And I stretch out to the children, and I am a stench to the children of my own mother. Even young children despise me. When I rise, they talk against me. All my intimate friends abhor me, and those whom I loved have turned against me. My bones stick to my skin and to my flesh, and I have escaped by the skin of my teeth. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. O you, my friends, for the hand of God has touched me. Why do you, like God, pursue me? Why are you not satisfied with my flesh? Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron peg and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth, and my skin shall be, has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. If you say, how will we pursue him? And the root of the matter is found in him. Be afraid of the sword, for wrath brings the punishment of the sword, that you may know there is a judgment. In this sparring of words, while the friends spare no words in rubbing salt in the wound, one voice remains notably silent. God has not spoken a word since chapter 2. God declared his servant Job blameless and upright. God-fearing, evil-rejecting, a man of integrity. God set the boundaries of Job's suffering. In fact, the only suffering spared was the very loss of his life. But since then, silence. In the silence, Job models to us a deeply personal and biblical response to suffering. Lament. Lament is our theme. A lesson for us to learn as we so briefly sweep through these 12 chapters. 
when God remains silent during suffering, the Christian response is lament. When God remains silent in suffering, the Christian response is lament. And we will see that God-centered lament leads to the presence of God, the Redeemer of God, and the fear of God. But what is lament? Lament is a divinely given invitation to pour out our fears and frustrations and sorrows for the purpose of helping us renew our confidence in God. I love that lament is a pathway to navigate through our response without falling into despair or fooling ourselves with denial. Job will say much in these chapters that make us feel just that little bit uncomfortable. Job will lay bare with the raw emotion attached, his fears, his frustrations, his sorrows. Have a look with me. Job expresses his fear that God is behind his suffering, and it terrifies him. It terrifies him that nothing can start what God, nothing can stop what God has started. I think Job chapter 23, verses 14 to 17. Closer in, in chapter 19, Job is experiencing God as his enemy in pursuit. The image of verse 12 is of a warring king sending out an army to besiege him. In verses 13 to 19, Job expresses his isolation. Job is cut off from all community. His relatives, his closest intimate friends, they have all abandoned him. Yes, even his servant ignores him. Even young children, they despise him. Job feels utterly alone. Job questions even the justice of God. In Job 21 verse 7, why do the wicked live and reach old age and grow mighty in power? Why do the wicked prosper? Job expresses many shocking feelings about God. And you can read in Job's summary defense, that's chapters 19 to 31, Job concludes in verse 30, in chapter 30, verse 19, God has cast me into the mire. I've become like dust and ashes. I cry to you for help, and you do not answer. Now, don't miss that Job's lament, it's not just about God. Job expresses his shocking feelings and thoughts to God. Job has found no comfort, in fact, more pain in the wisdom of the world, so he appeals to God to respond from the silence. The cry of his heart is, help me, God. And Job's lament is a prayer of pain that desperately desires to be led, to be reassured that trust in God is well placed. It's definitely the place that we need to go in our deepest moments of lament. Lament is the invitation to process our hardest experiences in the presence of God. And it's more than just applying information about God to these experiences. Lament invites God into experiences, our deepest emotions. I remember one, one helpful piece of wisdom given to me was picture, where would Jesus be in the room? Or 
always find that a helpful way of picturing God's presence in our hardest moments. Lament invites us to deepen our trust in God, even when we face the most shocking of conclusions. I find this there's this nice simple summary of lament. It's lament is prayer in pain that leads us to trust. Prayer in pain that leads us to trust. God gives us the lament of James of Job. More than a third of the Psalms are laments. We have the whole book of Lamentations, so you're getting it's a bit of a theme in the Bible. And we see in Jesus the tears of lament at Lazarus's tomb in John 11, and that harrowing cry of lament. So she quote from Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Among the last words of Jesus on the cross. These laments model a God-centered struggle to trust God while trying to make sense of this complex world. And they give us a language of lament. When we need to cry out for ourselves, my God, my God, why? God-centered lament, it leads us into the presence of God. And lament, it's a powerful, but it's a daunting process. Maybe for you, like me, it feels almost too bold to dare lament, my God, my God, why COVID? God, are you behind the suffering? Is it something you started? God, are we your enemy? God, I can feel so alone, so isolated, so distant from those around me. But God, I look to you. I need you. You are my help in trouble in whom I will trust. For many, it does not come naturally to come before God with such a boldness and vulnerability. I wonder if Australian culture pushes against such. Yet this is the invitation of lament. Lament is the lesson we need to learn, at least from this part of Job. And maybe it's not COVID for you. Maybe that's just another straw on the already broken back. Whatever your lament, God's invitation is open. And I wonder, perhaps God's silence is the invitation. The space to come to God with your pain of prayer in a heart that longs to be vindicated for its trust in God. We'll see later in Job uh, what happens when God does indeed answer. And so I wonder, is the silence the invitation? Look with me uh, from Job's plea in chapter 19, verse 23. It says, Oh, that my words were written... Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Now, it's worth a smile that we are reading these words multiple millennia later. But what Job is seeking to do is go on permanent record. His so-called friends accuse him of being an unforgiven sinner who's receiving just punishment. Job maintains he's a genuine believer who trusts God for forgiveness and walks in right relationship with him. So lament has led Job into the presence of God and now leads Job to the Redeemer of God. So Job puts on record what he believes and no circumstances, however bleak, 
will take these truths away. Verse 25. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Job has got three convictions. I love the first one. Job beautifully bypasses the accusations against him. For his confidence in forgiveness is dependent upon a living Redeemer. He's not basing it off his own works. His Redeemer will stand as his witness and defense upon the earth. It's a bit of a courtroom kind of scene. And Job is confident that his Redeemer, even after death, is able to bring him into the presence of God. Now, the role of a redeemer is to stand in your place to complete what you are unable to do. So, for example, if you were murdered, the redeemer's role was to ensure that the murderer was punished. Uh, if your share in the promised land was under threat, the redeemer's role was to safeguard it. If you left your widow childless, Redeemer's role was to provide her with a child. Think of Boaz the Redeemer for Naomi and Ruth. Now Job's lament has forced him to confront that he is both a sinner and the redeemed. And Job's lament has led him to conclude that his only hope is that God must then be both the judge and the Redeemer. Job needs a redeemer to stand in his place and do what he is unable to do. He's holding these concepts in tension in such a way that the wisdom of the world of those days has no categories whatsoever for this. The just should be punished, is their conclusion. Yet Job has place for forgiveness, for redemption. Now, remember back to Job's fearful conclusion and why he he's actually appealing directly to God. God must be behind his suffering, or at least has permitted and set the boundaries of it in some way. And therefore Job concludes he needs a redeemer who is equal with God to help kind of against God. Job is grasping a gospel paradox. Job will warn that God is indeed the judge to be feared in just a few verses. He's in no way undermining that. But Job also knows that his only hope is that God must be his living redeemer. And a divine redeemer, one not even limited by death and equal with God. Job's faith is an incredible foreshadowing of the God who reveals himself as the living redeemer in Jesus. So let's see how the two pair up. We see that Jesus is the son and equal of God. But it's, Jesus isn't sent against God, but sent by God as the one to complete the mission of God. And Jesus is the redeemer who will vindicate all believers trusting him for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is going to go on record in a way far more permanent than even on stone. And Jesus stands in the sinner's place and does what we are unable to do. Jesus pays the death penalty for sin. By the way, that's the punishment Job's friends 
think he deserves. Jesus pays the penalty as a sacrifice upon a cross. Jesus is the living redeemer, Job hopes for. For God raises Jesus from the dead, and death is not a limit to Jesus. Jesus' resurrection, it gives us confidence that they, that all believers like the Redeemer, will be raised and see God. So God-centered lament leads us to trust in the Redeemer of God. Now Job actually has a fourth conviction. It's a warning of judgment for his friends who ignore the Redeemer. We mentioned briefly before, Job's friends, their worldly wisdom has no place for undeserved suffering or grace. It's a very cruel, cold, mechanical world. They have no place in their minds for a suffering Redeemer God who would be nailed to the cross in their place. Yet for all the damage Job's friends have caused him, we see this amazing invitation amazing imitation of undeserved grace that Job trusts in because he now goes and warns his friends of the fear to fear God's judgment. Now, I wonder if you're a bit more like me and you'd be inclined to kind of be, well, let's, let's give them a taste of their own medicine. There is an amazing grace at work here, one that imitates the grace Job has received himself. You see, Job's friends, they underestimate God's judgment and consequently their own need of God's Redeemer. Their worldly wisdom, it fails them. But I also think there's a hint at another trap. Look at verse 28. They say the root of the matter is found in him. The friends, they so quickly focus on Job and blame him for the suffering that they fail to take stock of their own situation. Now, we're people who love comparison. 30 Seconds Online gives you a, a good picture of that. And particularly when we think comparison will favor us, we so quickly look down on others, even using their suffering as a means of somehow propping up our own insecurities. Yet Job warns us, if you're quick to say the root of the matter is found in someone else, be afraid of the sword. Cultivate a healthy fear of God's judgment. You cannot deflect it onto someone else, as we're so in the habit of trying to do. Only God's living Redeemer, Jesus, can take judgment from you upon himself as an act of undeserved. Job will take up again the theme of the fear of God in chapter 28. He sort of searches for where can wisdom be found. In his conclusion in verse 28, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. Now some lessons, they're so much easier to learn from the sufferings of another instead of to have to learn ourselves through the school of hard knocks. My prayer is that Job will be a lesson for you. So let's take stock of where we've been. 
When God remains silent during suffering, the Christian response is lament. Lament, it's prayer in pain that leads to trust. And God-centered lament leads us to the presence of God, the Redeemer of God, and the fear of God. So we're, we're back where we started. We're hanging over that pool of lament. It's still scary. It's still going to take some time to acclimatize. But you have a God-given, God-resourced invitation to respond to suffering with lament. Lament that draws you closer to the presence of God. And remember to talk to God, not just about Him. Lament draws us to trust, to find comfort in redemption from Jesus, the Redeemer of God. And lament draws us to cultivate a healthy fear of God, warned of coming judgment. God is not unjust. He is just far more patient than us. And so the question is, will you dive in? Will you take up lament as a tool for you from God? Will you dive in? Let us pray. God's silence is not something we often welcome from we see the invitation not to complain or be frustrated at you but to be honest to pour out our lament to turn to you in our troubles and trust Lord God guide us to use what you have given us for your glory and Lord may we unlike Job's friends support one another in this process. Guide us to dive in with you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this audio from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.